Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and my bulldog, Rodney, is beside me as usual. And today, I'm welcoming back my friend, Scott Tudor, as we recap WWE Survivor Series 2020. So, Scott, welcome back to the show. Ben, thanks again for having me. I'm ready to get to it on this holiday weekend. That's right. So, you know, a Thanksgiving tradition for WWE, WWF for many years since 1987 has been Survivor Series. And this year it was a little unique because there are no fans. So WWE is uh, doing this through the Thunderdome. And um, so they've got a pretty stacked card for this. And we're going to um, hit to all the matches. But in addition to, th- to this, we're also going to touch on the retirement of The Undertaker. Um, they do a final send-off for The Undertaker, celebrating his 30 years as uh as a WWF, WWE performer, and, you know, one of the true legends of, of professional wrestling, without a doubt. So let's go ahead and get to the first match. Um, that is the Men's Survivor Series elimination match with the Raw team, consisting of AJ Styles, Keith Lee, Braun Strowman, Matt Riddle of, they just call him Riddle now, and Sheamus versus the SmackDown team of Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, Jey Uso, King Corbin and Otis. So Scott, what's your take on this match? All right. So first of all, I'm going to start a little negative because it was literally 15 minutes into the pay-per-view before the action started. I was a little downtrodden by that. I was hoping for the action to kick off a little quicker. Uh, You know, the introductions and, and the entrances and all that pomp and circumstance. It just, it, it took way too long. We, we need to, WWE needs to start uh, getting to the action a little faster. Now, with that being said, the action was good. I enjoyed it. The one thing that I hated about the match was uh, Rollins' sacrifice. I just did not like that at all. I thought that killed the vibe. I thought it was kind of a, a negative towards the match. Uh, I do like the buildup of the, the Uso storyline because you can see where that's headed. Uh, with uh, the Uso brother and uh, Roman Reigns uh, and all that, you know, you can kind of see what's what's on the horizon with that. And I thought that they did well with Otis. I thought Otis had a good showing. He showed some strength. Uh, You know, he threw Keith Lee, which Keith Lee is a beast. And uh, that, you know, they allowed Otis to to show out a little bit. And, you know, overall, I, I thought it was okay, but, the length of time it took to get to the action, and then the Seth Rollins sacrifice, I, I just did not care for. Yeah, well, I guess to kind of recap the match, um, this was a this was a straight sweep for the Raw team. Um, started out pretty good with the action. Um, you know, we had different guys come in and get some offense in, and and like you said, with Seth Rollins was t- asked to be tagged in by Kevin Owens, and actually Kevin Owens had a bit of a an advantage, and then Rollins just comes in and turns to his team and says, "For the va- for the greater good," and he gets down on his knees and he tells Sheamus to give him a brogue kick, and Sheamus is like, "What's going on here?" And so Rollins is like, "No, give it to me, give it to me," and he did and took the pin, and so SmackDown was at a disadvantage five four right away, and of course the team um, you know was down on Rollins, and they had to re re uh, huddle and get planned up, but you know what? The more I thought about the Rollins thing. Uh, initially, my thought was exactly your thought, Scott. 
But the more I thought about it, WWE was trying to write off Seth Rollins here for a while because he's going to take a break while Becky Lynch has that baby because that baby's due in December. And so I'm like, okay, you know what? I can kind of see that. And he's kind of going out in like a, uh, a scumbag kind of way. <laughs> True. Uh, because he's completely like putting his team at, at odds. And the whole thing with him and Rey Mysterio is, I think, over, hopefully, because I, I didn't care for that fit feud at all. And not due to Rollins' part. It's just, I'm, I'm really down on the Rey Mysterio-Dominic Mysterio pairing. I just don't think Dominic Mysterio is, is ready at all. I agree. But, um, and, you know, the thing with Murphy, I, I think Murphy's talented and should really get a push. But part of me, too, was like, hey, if Rollins wanted to be written off, why not give Murphy a chance to step in here and kind of boost his uh, credentials a little bit more? Right. I agree with so that I 100%. Of, I, I would have liked to have seen that. But, you know, Seth gets some heat for going out the way he did and also probably sets up some rivals with others within uh, – in SmackDown. So, so he got out, but then Kevin Owens came in and Kevin Owens, I thought did a really good performance in, um, in this. I mean, he hit several stunners on everybody and then he, he got knocked out by AJ Styles, phenomenal forearm, uh, to be eliminated. And I'm kind of like, I would like to see Owens eliminated after taking a little bit more punishment, right? but, but you know, he's also got to sell that AJ Styles move as well. But I, I was hoping Owens would have a longer run because he's, I mean, overall a really solid performer. So I was surprised that he didn't last longer. So to your point, I believe that uh, the Rollins situation will set up feuds with the SmackDown team because they're all mad at him. So when he does come back, he'll automatically have heat with those guys for that reason. So, I mean, you're right to that point, but I just feel like they could have went a different direction. Yeah. Well, I, if I was doing it, I, I would have tried to push Murphy a little bit more here. Yeah, I agree. But, um, so then, um, Owens is eliminated. SmackDown's down five to three. Um, then Matt Riddle comes in and, you know, Matt Riddle, I mean, he gave a pretty good performance. He, he can be a pretty talented wrestler. I think he's really awkward, um, I'm not a big Matt Riddle character fan. Um, I, I think his promos are awful. Um, I'm not really into the surfer dude thing, but the thing is, is the guy can work. Right. Um, and so I thought he, I mean, he landed a great twisting senton on Corbin to eliminate him. But what's your take on Riddle? Because he's kind of not really found a groove yet. I mean, he's kind of been pushed a little bit and then he's off. I mean, this, he gave a good performance here. So what's your take on him? I really like the guy and I'm in a hundred percent agreement. I mean, this goes back to when I was a kid and you had the, the whole dudes with attitudes and all that from WCW. I've never liked the whole surfer gimmick. And I know a lot of people, except for Sting. Well, I was getting ready to get to that. A lot of people from, uh, uh, old school say that Sting was a surfer dude, but I never got that from that character. I just thought he was a crazy painted up, jacked up guy. You know, I just never, really got the whole surfer type thing from that gimmick, but a lot of people call it that. Now, and, and total agreement, Sting is one of my top guys, but the, like the dudes with attitudes and, and all that stuff, uh, you know, what what was it that Shane Douglas was in where they had the skateboards and all that? I didn't care for that. The dynamic dudes with that, him and Johnny Ace. Yeah, that that's what I was trying to think of. I think dudes with attitudes was like a, a faction. That was Mick Foley, sure. I think. Yeah, so yeah, the – 
the uh, dynamic dudes is what I was thinking. I've just never got that, never liked it. Matt Riddle, to come full circle to your question, I think he's a super athletic kid. He's a he's uh, got plenty of talent, and he's a pretty big guy to be doing a lot of the moves that he does, which I like. And the whole factor of him coming in barefoot reminds me of like a modern day Kevin Von Erich a little bit, because mm-hmm. Riddle is kind of stiff too. If you watch him, I mean he he lays it yeah. in. So he's a former MMA guy, I think. Yeah, he is. And and Kevin Von Erich was always known for that uh, being stiff and all that. So I think that they should try to go more of of a direction like that and push him to more of a character like that instead of the the surfer dude. But I was uh, happy that he had a good showing. Yeah, I tell you what, though, I did like the fact when Kevin Owens and uh, Riddle were going at each other, Kevin Owens did like the obvious. He stomped on uh, Riddle's feet, and he was like working on his feet. So he, used, he was using that as a disadvantage. But, um, but uh, and the thing with Corbin, I just don't know about this guy. I mean, He's a good heel. I mean, he's a good heat magnet, I think. But, I mean, he's supposed to be the king of the WWE, but he really hasn't won uh, a rivalry in a long time. I mean, I can't remember him winning a match um, in a long time. So it's kind of like, you know, if he was king, you would think he'd be getting a little bit more push. And I know he's probably going to get a little bit more push with Rollins being out. He'll probably, I guess... Other than Roman Reigns, he's the top heel on SmackDown. But I just kind of expected him to to do a little bit better, and that's why I was kind of disappointed with the, the Raw sweep because when you've got somebody like Corbin and Kevin Owens on there, one of those guys should make should put a pin. I mean, to me, Riddle should have at least been eliminated. And I, I sh- there should never be a sweep in a Survivor Series matchup. Mm-hmm. I mean. It, you know, from the time I started watching Survivor Series, what, 30 years ago, close to it, mm-hmm. there should have never been a sweep uh, in all those times. And they, they've done it before. I've just never, yeah. been, never been a fan of it, man. Out of, and it's usually SmackDown getting swept. Right. But I'm talking even before SmackDown days when they would do it. I just never cared for it. You know yeah. one guy is going to get eliminated or should get eliminated at least out of all that. So Yeah. Actually, I think Raw did get swept one time. I think. Is either is the past couple of years I think Raw got swept and it was with Seth Rollins as a captain too I think it was when he was um, is maybe last year or the year before no I agree I mean I I can kind of see where WWE's going with that though because it's like I mean other than Riddle and maybe Sheamus I mean you want to keep Keith Lee strong and I thought at the end of the day in my predictions on this I I felt like that Raw would win. Because I felt like that they would at least keep Keith Lee strong. Right. And I felt they'd want to keep AJ Styles strong. And you never know with Braun Strowman because he's so up and down in his booking. But um, but I was kind of surprised to have a sweep like that. And, I mean, the sweep continued after some good performances by Otis. I thought Otis did uh, some good matchups with Keith Lee. I liked the fact the big guys were going at it. Um, you know, really, Otis... I know his character is portrayed as the, you know, the the blue collar, redneck country guy, but Otis is really a a really good technical wrestler, and they just don't feature that too much in his wrestling. But they did a little bit in this match with right. Keith Lee, who, who can also go. Yeah, as I as I stated a little earlier, I thought they allowed Otis a good showing, and it you know it was a, about time on a 
stage of that level and him versus Keith Lee, I think, I mean, really that's money. They need to work that out somehow to make that a, a happening. Yeah. Well, and another reason why I liked it too is because as talented as Keith Lee is, he just has no charisma or very little charisma. Right. I mean, he, he, he could, he should have a whole lot more charisma. I mean, in the spirit of guys like the junkyard dog and, you know, Hacksaw Butch Reed, and I don't really remember Ernie Cat, the Cat Lad. I mean, Rocky Johnson, The Rock. I mean, he has got to have some type of charisma, and uh, and when he shows it, he he's good. But I mean, this whole you know quiet, poetic kind of guy. I mean, it's like you can't. I don't think you can be that way and be three hundred and fifty pounds. <laughs> no, and not have the move and skill set that he has. You've got to be able to back it up with some character yeah so but i did like that segment with him um otis actually i mean i thought he he had some really good moves but he ended up getting eliminated by braun Strowman with a power slam and i i thought that was a good way to put otis out because i mean braun Strowman's this you know big powerhouse i mean you know big time power lifter and stuff and so that was a believable sell for otis to to go out to Braun Strowman. Oh yeah, Braun's a complete monster for sure. Yeah, well, I tell you what, with Braun Strowman too, he is in great shape right now. Yes, I mean, he is. he is ripped. Um, I mean, just in phenomenal shape. And uh, so then that left um, with Otis getting eliminated. That left Jey Uso as the sole survivor um, for the Raw team against all five members of SmackDown. So, so what's your take on Jey Uso? I, as I've stated in previous episodes with you, I'm not a huge Jimmy and Jay Uso fan at all, but I like that they're writing it into the storyline a little bit. Uh, you can kind of see that it's headed to a, uh, a bad situation where uh, Roman is going to be fighting those guys. And I kind of like that. I think, you know, the storyline will go well. But, uh, you know, as I've stated before, I'm not a huge fan of those guys, but I thought he fared decently. And, you know, he showed some skill in there. But, uh, again, I, I'm i going to say it again. Overall, that first match was a little bit disappointing for me. Yeah. Well, he ends up um, – Uso um, was about to hit a splash on Styles, and then the bodyguard pulled uh, Styles from the ring, and that uh, – then Lee, Keith Lee tagged in, and he uh, caught Jey Uso off the top rope. He hit that spirit bomb, and he swept – or got a pin on Jey Uso for the clean sweep. So – so that was Keith Lee ending on a strong note. So that completed a clean sweep right there. And that also put Jey Uso in a situation of the continued storyline of disappointing Roman Reigns as right. the head of the table. And so he had to go back and take the criticism and the face the disappointment of Roman Reigns for that. So Right. So I agree with you overall. I mean, I, I'd probably give it a B. Um in my grade, I, I didn't think it was terrible. I mean, I know some people really didn't like it, but I thought there was some good action in there. Uh, just for me, I would I would only give it a B though, because I just I don't like the idea of a sweep. Exactly. So, but overall, pretty good. Um, and the thing about it is, is they kept guys on Raw strong who really needed to to stay strong. So you know, AJ Styles is still strong. Keith Lee's strong. Braun Strowman, uh, Sheamus. So even Matt Riddle. So so I can see that from a storyline perspective because with poor Braun Strowman, I mean, this guy, you know, he's up one minute and down the next. So, I mean, 
hopefully they'll keep him strong for a little while. Uh, but we'll talk more about him a little bit later in the show. All right, that takes us to our next matchup, the tag team championship battle between the Raw champions of the New Day, Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods, versus the Street Profits. And um, I thought this was a really great match. I I thought it was a lot of high-flying action, um, a lot of good technical wrestling, which you would expect from these guys, especially with uh, Kofi Kingston and uh, involved. I mean, he's you know always technically sound. Um, but actually, the Street Profits go over here on the New Day and via pinfall, too. So the Street Profits get a win in the column of SmackDown with this match. So what was your take on the matchup between the New Day and the Street Profits? This one was a very welcome matchup after the first one. I thought this was an excellent match. And to be quite honest, I haven't been a huge fan of either team. Uh, you know, I like the Street Profits because they're up and coming. Uh, but I thought that, you know, the athleticism and the, the trash talking between the two teams was, was actually really good. It was. And the big guy for the Street Profits, I cannot think of his name. Angelo uh, Dawkins. Yes. He, to, okay, so this is going to hit home for you. Does he? Is he not the DeMarcus Cousins of professional wrestling? Yes, he does. He has a headband and everything. I think he is DeMarcus Cousins of professional wrestling, which makes me, <laughs> which makes me love him because I'm a UK guy. But he's, they're built about the same too. They really are, and they sh- he showed some moves, and I think even like Corey Graves and some of them alluded to it, and even Samoa Joe on the one move that he did was they were like, "What was that?" <laughs> you could tell they were at a loss for words because they've never even seen it before. It was like a modified. Uh, swing and neck, neck breaker, but it was like partial suplex into the neck breaker. And those, yeah. those guys were like, like you could, even though the television didn't show it, you could see them like looking at each other thinking, okay, how do we call that? Because I've never seen that before. And, uh, you know, stuff like that is, it, those are the things that captures my attention. I love seeing new innovative moves like that. Mm. And, and I thought that was an excellent move. I, I hope he, uh, uh, adds that to his repertoire uh, regularly. Of course, uh, Kofi or whoever he uh, administered, administered it to kicked out, but that was just a, a highlight to me because it actually caught the announcers off guard. You could tell the, you know, kayfabe kind of went out the window for a minute because they were like, okay, what was that? <laughs> and I, those are the moments that I really enjoy. But yes, this, this tag team match went well. I think that the New Day didn't lose anything. Uh, by losing to them, and it was successful in putting the Street Profits over and kind of hyping them up a little, which they, they still need, even though they're carrying the belts. They still need a little bit of a push. I agree. I, I think this was the right booking call um, because if with the New Day losing in the version of Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston, I don't think it hurts them as bad as if it was Big E and Kofi. Agree. Um, and with the Street Profits – they really need that push. I mean, they are really good on the mic. They've got charisma. Uh, you know, they're they're with Bianca Belair, so they're wanting to push her up a little bit too. And I just, I really like the Street Profits' moves in the ring. I mean, when when uh, uh, Montez Ford comes off the top rope, I mean, he gets higher than I think anybody I've ever seen. I think he gets higher than Jimmy Superfly Snuka did back in the day. Or if he, or, or I mean, he's pretty darn close. But I mean, he's a real freak athlete. So right. I thought their I thought their chemistry in the ring with the moves and like you said the talking and stuff was really good. 
So I really enjoyed this match. So, all right. So that means it's 1-1 right now between Raw and SmackDown. That takes us into our next matchup of the uh, matchup of Bobby Lashley, the United States Heavyweight Champion from Raw, versus Sami Zayn, the Intercontinental Champion from SmackDown. And, you know, these guys have had some battles before. And at the end of the day, I thought it was a pretty good match. I thought Sami Zayn did a really good job of playing the the scaredy cat kind of heel and trying to find ways to to come uh, and, and win by some devious move or a disqualification or something because of the fact that Bobby Lashley is just so much bigger and, and stronger than Zane. But I, I thought Zane did a good job. Ultimately, um, uh, Bobby Lashley comes in here and uh, gets the win uh, from Zami Zane. He does get him in the uh, uh, the hurt lock, the full Nelson for the win. But overall, I thought this was a good booking match, and uh, I thought the outcome was pretty good. I'm a huge fan of their faction. Yes, uh, absolutely. I, I think it's the perfect combination of Nation of Domination and the Four Horsemen. Uh, I think it was overdue. I think that it's been overdue for a couple of those guys. Uh, Shelton Benjamin has had a resurrection because of it. Uh, mm -hmm. Bobby Lashley needed the extra push a little bit to, to get out there. Uh, I've always said that he hasn't been pushed enough. And uh, the mouthpiece with, with MVP. Absolutely. MVP is the perfect talker. He's arrogant. He gets on your nerves. He, he's the perfect heel mouthpiece for a faction like that. So I, I love that faction and I thought this match was entertaining. Uh, Sammy played the part perfectly. I just, Sammy to me, he's annoying, but yet he is, you can't deny his talent. And, yeah. and I followed Sammy in the independence and in ROH and I really liked him. And I think that we're underselling him or WWE is underselling him. Uh, I would like to see more of him being a legit competitor instead of always being the coward, but he does play it well and he does he plays his role. Uh, so I can't uh, fault him for that. But the takeaway for me on this one is I just love that, that faction. And I, I think that they need to show more dominance going forward. Yeah, no, I, I do like the hurt business a lot. Um, and I'm glad they added Cedric Alexander to that uh, faction because he is really good in the ring. And just for some reason, him and um, Ricochet just weren't getting over. And I, I think, I guess it was the booking because both of those guys are really talented. But I read an article this morning where Ricochet is expected to, to leave WWE. I think his contract is coming up soon, but uh, he's just not in Vince's favor for some reason. I, and I don't really understand because he's really talented in the ring and they should have good matchups with guys like uh, Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode. And, you know, uh, they had something with, uh, gosh, who was it, AJ Styles. But, you know, Ricochet just wasn't able to get over as much as um, I thought he would get over. And then that was affecting Cedric Alexander. And I'm like, Cedric Alexander is really good. Yeah. I mean, so I'm glad that he's part of the Hurt Business. I really like the Hurt Business taking it to um, – Golly, the I just for, went blank on the the group um, with uh, Mustafa Ali. Oh yeah, yes, the, yes. The terrorist group. Yep, agreed. I I think that 
that group is awful. <laughs> Absolutely awful. And I think that's partially the point. Yeah. But uh, so anyway, I'm definitely rooting for the Hurt Business in those matchups. Um, you know what, though? Talking about Sami Zayn, in these matchups where he's matched up against somebody like a Bobby Lashley and for a while he was going against Braun Strowman and stuff, I think he kind of has to stick to this character just and kind of be the sleazy heel and because there's no way he can physically match up with a guy like Bobby Lashley. He just can't. That's correct. And so he's got to do like, you know, you know, just cheap stuff. Right. I mean, that's exactly right. It's, it's due to the booking, but it would have been nice if he could have brought, you know, a group out there to kind of cancel them out or something. So he and Bobby could have had a, a better match. Uh, yeah. You know, one on one, and they need to book the guy to guys that he can actually stand up to and and show some of his talents against instead of just constantly being overpowered. Yeah, well, I think that's going to continue for him though, because based on a Friday Night SmackDown, it looks like that uh, he's going to be matched up in a battle with Big E, which I I love the idea of Big E getting a push. Agreed. And You know, I've heard for a long time that they're going to try to give him a push to, to win the Intercontinental Title, so. I think that'd be good, but that's another thing where, you know, Sammy's just clearly outmatched physically because Big E's a beast. He's a stud, and I've always been a Big E fan. Uh, I, you know, and of course he, his uh, charisma got better as he was with the New Day, and right. he, he developed. So I think it was time for him to get that push. Before he was just a big, strong guy with no charisma, but you know, the New Day kind of brought it out of him. So it, mm-hmm. it, it's time. I'm happy with that. Well, and, and you know, I guess switching to Big E a little bit, how much more could can the New Day really do? Um, because they've been a, a faction together for a long, long time, right? And it's kind of the same gimmick, and it kind of reminds me back to one of our our subjects of a recent podcast and Terry Bam Bam Gordy with the Freebirds. I mean, you think about the Freebirds in the eighties. You know, they were such a big act and world-class and mid-south and uwf but then once you got to like the late 80s and stuff they were really starting to change i mean buddy roberts had retired and you know uh, gordy went back to world-class after uwf uh broke up and um michael hayes was in nwa like with sting and battles with luger and stuff and it's like after a while acts kind of get stale right and so then Gordy goes and does all this stuff in Japan and yep. a great singles career and meets up with Dr. Death and Stan Hansen and all that stuff. And I, I kind of felt the same way with, um, with Big E. Yeah, I agree. I, it was uh, getting overplayed with the three of them. I, I think that they, they've still got some longevity left now that it's back down to the two of them. Uh, uh-huh. And I, I agree. I think the, that they were, it was to a point where they were holding Big E back, you know, for a little bit. So I, I think they finally broke it out and, and they're doing the right thing now. But you, to your point, you kind of wonder how much longer the New Day is going to hang on. And it's kind of curious how some tag teams get the longevity in in the WWE, but some don't. You know, I thought, you know, in the past, like Robert Roode and uh, Dolph Ziggler, I thought they were a dynamite tag team and w- was a perfect pairing. And they kind of didn't really let that last too long. And then, uh, you know, there's there's been countless tag teams throughout the years that they've done that with, and it just kind of surprises you. You think that they're, they've got good chemistry, and then they don't last. Yeah. Well, I mean, talking tag teams here, I mean, 
you know, the street profits in New Day, how much competition do they really have? Like Friday night, uh, they did bring back uh, Rude and Ziggler, which, you know, Rude had that wellness violation. Right. Wellness policy violation for a while. But that was a really good match. And they actually got a pin. Um, Bobby Rude got a pin on um, on uh, Montez Ford. And I do really like that tag team. But it's like, okay, they're here for like two months or something. Then they're gone. I mean, Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura, kind yep. of the same thing. You know, they're here for a cup of coffee or whatever. Yep. And really, it, um, in Raw, I'm not sure who the New Day is going to go after. Uh, battle because they're always like putting some team together the viking raiders are out for a while i think um uh ibar i think he had a really bad neck injury so he's out and it's like they almost need like a their own show kind of like i did in my fantasy booking where you have like a tag team show and focus all these tag teams together in battle because it's just not consistent right and it never it hasn't been for years i think that's the weakness of that division in the WWE. I've called it out in previous podcasts. I, yeah. I thought the AEW and TNA tag team divisions were leaps and bounds above WWE for years. And that, you know, WWE needs to take a lesson and be like, Hey man, you know, these wrestling guy or enthusiasts, the true fans that have been around for a long time. We love tag teams. So bring them back and make them legitimate again. Well, and that also helps the hurt business because you've got, four guys in there it's like well unless they're battling abs absolution um that faction with uh, mustafa ali it's like okay well who else are they going to go against i mean are they going to allow them to go against the street profits well how can they do that when they're uh, battling rude and ziggler they need to have another uh more competition right so because they've got the the athletes and the talent to do it oh yeah for sure so all right, well, switching gears now to our next matchup, and that's Asuka versus Sasha Banks, the Raw Women's Champion, taking on the SmackDown Women's Champion and a battle of two of the most talented women in all of professional wrestling here. Uh, I, I thought this match was really good. I, I wouldn't say – I mean, it wasn't a match that was like an A+, but I thought it was really solid because both Banks and Asuka are really good in the ring with their technical wrestling. I did enjoy that. Um, and both had their spots. Um, you know, Banks uh, tried to lock in the bank statement, and uh, but she couldn't finish off Oscar. Um, but ultimately, it was kind of weird because at the end, it was some um, some uh, slight sunset flips, and then she ends up pinning a uh, Sasha ends up pinning uh, Oscar with a sunset flip for the win which I thought was kind of underwhelming, but be that as it may, I still thought it was a pretty good match. And I, I thought it was the right call for Sasha Banks to win this match. I agree with you on that. And let me preface what I'm getting ready to say with, I am a much bigger Oscar fan than I am a Sasha Banks fan. And I think I've made that loud and clear in previous episodes, but for Sasha to be legitimized, she had to have this victory because Oscar mm. has been a thorn in her side for years. And Asuka has been dominant, you know, in the women's division for years. So for Sasha to to cement herself in the current landscape, she needed this win. And I agree with you. The, <laughs> the final move was kind of like, okay, we're ending it with that. But in a way, I think it was good that they didn't try to just 
take it over the top. They just made it a, a good wrestling match. And it and it was. It was actually a really good match. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I think the the thing with Sasha, just to follow up on your point about legitimizing Sasha Banks as a champion, is because she's gotten the the smack talk from um, from Bailey and now from Carmella, who's gonna be a rival of hers, that Sasha can win a title, but she can't keep a title for very long. And so if she had gone into this match and lost to Oscar, then she's got that same stigma. Right. So I, I thought that was a good match. But you know, kind of going back to the women's division again, who's Oscar battling in Raw now? I mean Agreed. Because you've got a tag team with Nia Jax and um, uh, Shayna Baszler. You've got a tag team with Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, which they're both off right now. Um, we'll get to the women's match a little bit, but I mean, tag team with Peyton Royce and um, Lacey Evans. Who, who's her competition unless you pull off Peyton Royce or, or uh, uh, what's her name? Um, Lacey Evans. Right. I'm like, she's the Raw Women's Champion, and they don't have a feud for her right now. That is inexcusable. It's very inexcusable. I agree with that. So, and that to me goes back to my point. If I was in charge of WWE, which by the way, Scott, I did see where WWE has writer positions available on their career page. <laughs> I need to look at that. Yeah, the only thing is, though, is I think the the salary would be about. I looked it up on LinkedIn. And I think they said an average salary is like around eighty thousand, and you've got to go up to Connecticut and stuff, which would be a a big pay cut. But I don't know. I mean, something's like if I could do it remotely, I think I absolutely would because if I was head writer and head booker for WWE, I would have like SmackDown be like the tag team night and the women's night yeah, or, or something, or at least have half of raw for that. If you're trying to fill your three hours, because maybe Fox pushes back and they're like, well, Hey, we've got to have Roman reigns or whatever. Right. But I just think you got so much talent that because of this brand split, you're not taking advantage of, of all this stuff. I agree a hundred percent. They, you've got to boost the tag teams and you've got to boost the women uh, and women. I mean, that, that's the hot thing. That's been the hot ticket the last couple of years. So I don't understand why we're letting it die down. And I agree with you. I, uh, if I was the head writer or at least on the staff, I would be pushing for that. Because think about it in SmackDown, you've got Bailey right now who are at her competition over there is um, Natalia, which Natalia has basically been an enhancement talent lately. Um, I mean, you got Bianca Belair. Um, who's outstanding. Um, and then you've got um, Liv Morgan and uh, Ruby Riot, but who are generally a tag team. But it's like, but yet you've got all these women over there, but yet Asuka has nobody right now. Right. And it makes absolutely no sense, but yet if you had them together, you could have Bailey going against Asuka, or you could have Bianca Belair going against Asuka, or or even a Liv Morgan who's improved by leaps and bounds. Oh yeah, she's come a long way. She had a good showing, and we'll—I'm sure we'll get to that. But she had a yeah. really good showing. So that's just my concern about uh, you know with Oscar because she's really good. I, I think obviously she's good in the ring, but I think she's funny. I think her common um, 
her communication has gotten a, a whole lot better, even though it, you know you can't always understand it. But it's it's funny. I think she's just improved by leaps and bounds as an overall professional wrestling talent Agreed. within the past year. Oh, she's one of my favorite for sure. And it's like unless you're just waiting for Charlotte Flair and um, uh, Becky Lynch to come back, but Becky Lynch may not come back until even if she has that baby in December. It may be SummerSlam before she comes back. Right. So, all right. Well, anyway, overall, a uh, pretty good match with Sasha Banks defeating Asuka. And our next match, speaking of the women, we are going into the Women's Survivor Series elimination match with Team Raw of Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, Lacey Evans, Peyton Royce, and Lana versus the SmackDown team of Bailey, Natalia, Bianca Belair, Liv Morgan, and Ruby Riot. So, Overall, I thought this was a pretty it was a pretty good match. I would I would give it probably a B. Uh, it wasn't terrible. I did like how they booked Lana in this. Uh, for those who didn't see it, you know, Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler had been tormenting L- Lana for for weeks. I think Nia Jax puts her uh, through the Samoan drop on uh, the announcer table for like six or seven straight weeks. And Lana keeps coming back and keeps coming back. And, I mean, Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler, they even destroyed uh, my uh, Mandy Rose. And then uh, there was an attack on, uh, uh, shoot, uh, Dana Brooks. So they were eliminated from the, the Raw team and replaced by Peyton Royce and Lana, uh, Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans. But um, it was interesting because Lana tagged herself in. No one wanted to tag Lana. And she comes in and does fantastic. I mean, and then everyone's wanting her to tag out. And so when she finally tags out, I mean, basically Nia Jax just scolds her and tells her to stand on the the steps and do not move. (laughs) And that's what she did. And um, so the first elimination of the match was actually Bailey being eliminated by Peyton Royce. And I thought Peyton Royce looked really good in this matchup. I agree. And I'll give this match a decent... I'll, I'll agree with you. It wasn't outstanding, but I, it could be a B. And really, it's getting a B for me because of the storytelling. Because yeah. I, I was going to bring up how they booked Lana. And I loved how that, you know, that she won <laughs> at the end. And that, you know, that's going to piss some people off. I mean, that's going to make a bunch of people mad because she hasn't shown her talent that much. And then, of course, it's a, a good story builder for what's been going on with her being bullied and, and teamed up on and all that. So I think that was booked well. I That's a good storytelling move. And, of course, I'm going to go uh, bonkers with Bianca Belair because that's she's right up there with Asuka for me, and you and I have been tracking her for over a year now uh, when she first came in the WWE. I, I love her. I think she's awesome, and I, I was happy that they let her have a really good showing. And she even dominated uh, Nia Jax a little bit. I mean, she threw her over the guardrail and and all that. So I was very happy with that. Yeah. Well, and um, I, I thought Peyton Royce had a good performance here. I think I agree. You know, I think Peyton Royce. Um, obviously, she has a great look, um, and they've decided to break break up the the iconics, which that means the other iconic. Um, I forgot her name even, which tells you something um but you know i don't know what she's gonna do um but i thought it was a mistake to break up the iconics but be that as it may 
Peyton Royce showed that she can wrestle, that she's not just a comedy act here. Uh, she eliminated Bailey to, which I, I think Bailey getting eliminated early doesn't really hurt her since she's had such a strong year. And it and by Peyton Royce taking Bailey down, it gives her credibility. And they're trying to build up some stars, so I I did like that. Yep, good booking, um, good booking. But then I would Peyton Royce was forced to tap to Natalia's sharpshooter not too long after that, which I felt like, look, if you're going to give Peyton Royce a push, let her at least stay in there a little bit longer and not just tap, especially to Natalia so early because Natalia right now, she, she's been enhancement talent and she's good and solid, but that's just where she is at this stage of her career. Even though I think she's still really good in the ring and definitely on the promos, but that's the spot they have her in right now. So I, I disagreed with that. But then um, I thought they did let Natalia, do, uh, you know, do some pretty good moves here. I mean, she um, uh, battled with Shayna Baszler pretty good, but ultimately the women's right from uh, uh, Lacey Evans took Natalia out. They have to book Natalia to stay relevant, and I think that may be why she turned around and eliminated Peyton Royce. I mean, for for, yeah. for Natalia to successfully do the job. And she's got a role. She's a role player, big time. Right. And for her to successfully play that role, they have to give her some legitimacy. And by her turning around and eliminating uh, Peyton Royce, I think that was part of that gig because Natalia, they may throw her in a main event, you know, tomorrow or Friday night against uh, Sasha Banks, or they may throw her in a main event against Bailey or, you know, any of those at any time, any given time. They may throw her in, so they've got to keep her somewhat, you know, relevant with with things like that. Yeah, I just wish that they would have let Peyton Royce go a little bit longer. Um, like I would have liked to have seen her with uh, Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan a little bit, right? And just has just some good solid wrestling there because, um, you know, as we'll get to in a little bit, I mean, Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot they they're small but they're good. Yep, very good. And I think that's a better matchup with them based on size with Peyton Royce. But um, but then uh, Shayna Baszler put, uh, uh, came in and uh, she was about to get eliminated by Natalia after being in the sharpshooter. But like I mentioned, she was saved by the woman's right from Lacey Evans. Um, and then um, Ruby Riot came in. Ruby Riot has a new look and a more of a, a shorter haircut, still the, the punk look. And I thought she had some good um, action there with Shayna Baszler. Oh, absolutely. I think that they need to make that a matchup because Ruby is rough and she is stiff, as they like to say. Uh, yeah. She lays it in and she's she's tough, man. She's hardcore. And I think she would be a good matchup for Shayna. I think that would be a good event and maybe a, a good feud to get into because they're both kind of the alternative uh, type and, you know, they – they're both rough. So I, I think that would be a good matchup and they, they should expand on that one for sure. And that, you know, it was a good showing in that matchup. Yeah. And ultimately Shayna Baszler, um, locks her, uh, her, uh, Carfuda clutch on Ruby riot and, um, puts her to sleep. So they kept Shayna Baszler looking strong, which they should. Um, but I thought it was a good showing for Ruby riot. And then Liv Morgan comes in and, I thought she uh, did a really good job in this match. I mean, she was giving it to Nia Jax. She was uh, uh, battling with Lacey Evans. And actually, uh, 
put a move on Lacey Evans to eliminate Lacey Evans, who's much bigger and stronger. So I thought that was a really good showing for for Liv Morgan. I agree. I, I've been a Liv Morgan fan uh, for obvious reasons <laughs> yeah. before, but she has uh, become very much, you know, very developed in the ring. She her wrestling has come a long way. When she was first with the uh, Riot Squad, I mean, let's be honest, her. Her wrestling wasn't that good. I mean, she was kind of the eye candy of the group, and, you know, for good reason, she's gorgeous. But mm-hmm. uh, now she is a legit competitor, and she has some good moves, and she made it believable. So when she came in and she was being very aggressive, I, I was happy with that because you can tell the development in her wrestling over the last year two years. Absolutely. Yeah, so I was glad to see that. And then – um Ultimately, um, Morgan was uh, eliminated by Nia Jax with a Samoan drop, so that's completely believable with Nia Jax being so much bigger, but I was glad to at least them let Liv Morgan have uh, a nice elimination there. I was kind of disappointed that um, Lacey Evans didn't get a little bit more action because I think she's good. I mean, I thought she was going to be maybe a bigger star at this point, but um, that's somebody that, like Lacey Evans – why is she on SmackDown? She needs to be on Raw where she could at least be going against uh, – oh, I'm sorry. She is on Raw. Why is she not going against uh, uh, Asuka right. and stuff? I mean, we don't need any – but the problem is is you've paired Nia Jackson, and Shayna Baszler together, and they don't have anybody to go against unless it's Lacey Evans and Peyton Royce right now because Mandy Rose is out with a legit shoulder injury. And that means Dana Brooks also out. So it comes down to the fact of they don't have enough women to do two brands. Right. So anyway, that is when Bianca Belair comes in and she battles Nia Jax. So talk about that matchup. So Bianca, of course, is one of my favorites. I've been tracking her since she first came into NXT, uh, you know, over a year ago. You and I started talking about her on these episodes. She is one of the few that can stand up to Nia Jax and, and, you know, mix it up with her. And she's super strong. You know, I th- I think that's a matchup that they really need to push outside of like a Survivor Series. And I know they're on different brands, but I think that's a main event matchup in, in a pay-per-view setting somewhere at some point. They need to, to, to really push that because Bianca can actually stand up to Naya and she's one of the few that can, uh, you know, the rest of the women there, you know, they can do their moves and fly around and all that, but they cannot stand up toe to toe with Nia Jax. And that's what makes this a good matchup. And I thought, you know, Nia sold well for Bianca, you know, also, so you can tell they work well together. Their chemistry's mm-hmm. their chemistry is good. I mean, Hey, Nia took a big bump going over the guardrail. Yes, uh, she did. And I mean, that's, that tells you that she trusts Bianca and that she likes her and that they can work well together. So the chemistry's there, and I think the money's there, so they need to really push that. Yeah, I do too, and I I thought she also matched up well with uh, Shayna Baszler. Actually, Shayna Baszler got eliminated from this because she didn't release a hold on Bianca Blair, so she got disqualified, Right. which I I thought was kind of weak. But, I mean, I think the thing is they're still trying to keep Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax strong, so that way she's eliminated without taking a pin. And they're also trying to push Bianca Belair. Um, 
And plus, they've got to get to the end of the story, which we're going to get to. Right. So she's got to get eliminated somehow. So I thought, you know, that was about as good as any. But ultimately, you know, Bianca Belair and Nia Jax battled out. She threw uh, Nia Jax over the the guardrail. I mean, literally, like, hoisted her up. I mean, so that was some serious strength right there because I think Nia Jax is about 280 pounds. Yeah, she's a big gal. I mean, she she carries it well, but she is a big gal. Yeah, well, and to be honest, she was pretty graceful going over that yes. guardrail too. Yep, she. I mean, she landed it. You could tell, but I, I kind of liked that storyline, but because it did keep everybody relevant and it didn't sh- really show anybody's weakness, it allowed Bianca to look good, but it didn't take away from Nia and it didn't take away from uh, uh, Shayna Baszler. Shayna Baszler, right? I mean, yeah, Shayna got eliminated, but it was kind of a tricky. You know, it, it made Bianca look good for getting to the ropes, but it, it made Shayna look tough and rough and mean by hanging onto the hold and not letting go. So, yeah, yeah. it kind of got sold. You know, I, I kind of liked it, so I, I thought it was okay. Well, Shayna got eliminated for being too good of a heel. Right, right. So, and then ultimately, then, it led to Lana being at the end. So, I, you know, I think overall it did well. They, they did it well. Yeah. I thought so. I, I'll be honest with you. I was I was happy when Lana uh, was the final survivor because, I mean, she had been just picked on and beaten down and lectured to and stuff. And so it's kind of a happy ending right? Uh, on it. And honestly, let's say that you have your sole survivors as Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler. What does that really do from a storyline perspective? Right. It just continues the beat down. Yeah, nothing. They had been um, – given on Lana or whoever. So, I mean, I think this is a, a feel good story and I'm anxious to see what's going to happen with Lana. I guess, I mean, maybe they would have a, a match with her and, um, and Oscar, which I mean, Oscar could definitely carry that match, but to give Lana some props here, Lana has improved a lot and I, they've I had agree. some interviews with her from a personal perspective where she was, you know, talking about her struggles and tried to grow. And she was like, look, I want to be legit here and not just, you know, the eye candy and that horrible thing that she had with Bobby Lashley. I mean, that storyline was just awful. Terrible booking. So I think what we've learned in uh, from WWE is they need to stay away from relationships and weddings. Agreed. <laughs> because, because that and the Otis Mandy Rose story, I mean, that ended in a, in a, a whimper. Right. So, I mean, whatever really happened at the end of that, I mean, I. It just kind of went away. So it's, it's like Otis is on Raw and Mandy's, or Otis, is, Otis is on SmackDown and Mandy's on Raw. And it's like, well, I guess they're kind of like, it's a long distance relationship. Right. That just kind of died out with no climax at all. So. Yeah. Kind of weird. It is weird. But anyway, so uh, ultimately Team Raw defeats Team SmackDown with Lana as the sole survivor. And that takes it up to, let's see, Raw is doing my count here. Raw's up three to one here. Yeah. So that takes us into our final match of, so there's no way that Raw can ultimately get a tie here. But I think to me that's kind of irrelevant here because, Ultimately, this is a match I really wanted to see, Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. I think Roman Reigns right now is as good as Roman Reigns has been in the WWE. What do you say to that? I have to agree, and as you well know, I am not, and I repeat, I am not 
a Roman Reigns fan. However, the fact that they made him a heel and he's carrying it well and he's with Heyman, which I'm a Heyman guy, I think that that's the best move they could have made for guys like me to actually kind of come over and say, okay, I can I can tolerate Roman Reigns now because I, yeah. I do like him as a heel and I like this whole character, the whole uh, development that they put him in and like the whole new attitude and all that. He's more aggressive. He's got you know, more of an ego and he's, he's tougher. And I just, I like it. I like it better. I'm still not a huge Roman Reigns fan, but I'm way more of a fan now than I was a year ago. So I think it's a good move to put him with Heyman and make him kind of like the, the Brock Lesnar of, of current time. Yeah. I also like that. He got rid of the, the, the shield, you know, bodyguard thing, because I mean, Roman Reigns is jacked. Yep. I mean, a lot of women like Roman Reigns for his look, so he's showing off that he's jacked. So that's helping the women out there. Right. But I think, too, it just shows he's more of a badass, to be honest with you. Yeah. And that's what he needs to be. A lot of people don't like Roman Reigns, and, you know, he got pushed down our throat. Not to his fault, but, I mean, they just pushed him too early, and a lot of people didn't think he had earned his stripes. And he had at the time. Yeah. But I just think that uh, I, I really like this version of Roman Reigns, and I also really like Drew McIntyre. The only drawback I have with Drew McIntyre is if I was booking Raw, I would not have let him lose um, to to Randy Orton at Hell in a Cell. I thought that made no sense at all because then he just turns around and goes on on uh, SmackDown, makes an appearance. Talks to Roman Reigns about, well, we'll have a matchup. And Roman's like, well, you got to go get a title back. So obviously he comes back the Monday before uh, Survivor Series, beats Roman or, uh, Randy Orton for the title. I'm like, why did they even make the change? It made no sense. I would have kept Drew McIntyre as strong and as hot as possible. And you still keep your feud with uh, have Randy Orton lose because the Fiend interferes. I mean, you can still keep that. Right. But it's not like the fiend. It's not like Randy Orton took the title off Drew McIntyre to let the fiend battle him. So I thought that was a mistake. But that I, being said, it didn't affect this match. But I just felt like for the big fight feel, it would have been better if Drew McIntyre had not lost that title. I agree, and I think they simply did that as a favor to Randy, just to keep him, yeah. just to keep him legitimized, and to keep him happy. I think they did it as a favor because Andy or Randy is no longer the young buck that you and I kind of came up with and watched him develop. You know, he was the young buck, hot superstar and all that. Randy's old now. Randy's uh, uh, coming closer to one of those legends that he claims to kill. Uh, he's been in the business for how many years now? At least 20. At least uh, 20. Or close to it. I mean, he's he's I think more. He's right around 40. If if not a little older, and I know he started at around twenty or twenty one because he was, you know, noted as the youngest WWE champion whenever he finally won it. And I, I just think they're doing it as a favor to him to make him happy because he's one of their highest paid guys and he's one of their most experienced guys that's still hanging out and he can still throw a good match. You know, going back to him and Edge in that street fight that they had and all that that was that was really good. Uh, TV really good match, but I, I'm in a hundred percent agreement. There was no reason 
to throw the belt off of Drew and then him get it back and then go into SmackDown and lose. Uh, it, it just it kind of takes away from Drew. It would have been better had Drew came in as the ultimate champion and not lost to Randy and then turned around and lost to, you know, how, how it happened. So yeah. uh, I, I agree. I, I think that was poor writing and poor storytelling. Yeah, even though that match with Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton and Hell in a Cell was a good match, but I just feel like when you've got your best going against each other, yep. I just think it's better to have it, you know, undefeated. I mean, and you still get your heat with with the Fiend on Randy Orton. Yep. Uh, and if he loses due to the Fiend being involved in some way, and that results in McIntyre giving him the Claymore kick, like what happened when he kind of won. Uh, on SmackDown, Randy Orton's still a top guy. Yep. But be that as it may, here we are, Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. I thought this was an excellent match. Very I good. thought it was by far the, the best match of the night. Yep. Um, you know, both guys can really deliver. Um, they were selling for each other. Um, and, and to to Jim Cornette's point, I listened to a lot of the Jim Cornette podcast and stuff, and he – Obvious, he's not a big fan of WWE and definitely not a big fan of AEW. But the thing about that Jim Cornette comments about a lot of wrestlers today, and he's like, he's like, they're not really look like they don't look like grown men. And by that he means you've got a lot of guys that just don't look like wrestlers right. as far as their build and physique and stuff. I mean, more so in AEW than WWE, I think. Right. Because uh, you know McMahon's always been a, in favor of the big guys and stuff. But you got two guys in Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre that are in great shape. They're both, you know, six foot three, six foot four, six foot five. I mean, they are tough and they they deliver in the ring. And I will say this for Roman Reigns. He has drastically improved his wrestling matches over the years. I mean, he I think he delivers really well in the ring. And McIntyre was in need of a push for a long time. And they delivered. It was physical. It was hard-hitting. And ultimately, uh, Drew McIntyre comes out the winner here. I'm sorry, Roman Reigns comes out the winner here, which I think was the right move. And the way that they let him win still kind of kept Drew as legitimate. And back to make a complete circle back to your point, had they not took the belt off of him two weeks ago or whatever and then turned around and give it back to him, and then come in, I think it was, would have been a better story because then Drew is still legitimized because the way he lost, you know, on uh, Survivor Series doesn't take away from him because there was some, you know, foul play. So with Jimmy Uso coming in, right? Jimmy Uso came in, the referee got knocked out, the other referee came out. I mean, there was a lot of confusion going on, and surprisingly, Heyman never got involved. I, I kept waiting on him to do something, and he never did. Uh, so, but either way, you know, and that also still builds the story for Uso and, uh, Roman because he was trying to get back in the good graces and that storyline still carrying on. So that piece of writing was excellent. I thought they did very good with that because he got involved. Roman got the victory cheaply. Uh, it kept Drew legitimate and it still built onto that story, that side story with Jay and Roman. So I thought that was good writing. I agree, um, and I, I think you know you hit the nail on the head there. Was with it gives an opportunity for 
Jey Uso to kind of get in the good graces of Roman Reigns and build that story. And I think when you've got Roman Reigns as at the head of the table, um, you know, the, 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 the chief and stuff, the, the tribal chief, he can't lose. I mean, Roman Reigns can't lose for the rest of this year, and he can't lose until maybe WrestleMania. Yeah. And, I mean, and the reason why I say that, I think ultimately where this goes with Roman Reigns, this is very similar to a movie that he was in with The Rock about two summers ago. And, the you know, the tribal chief, head of the table, stuff like that, both of the uh, the Samoan lineage – I think The Rock's going to come back and challenge Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. I think that's where they're building. I think you're right, and I think how it's going to happen is Roman is going to continue to treat the Uso brothers terribly, and The Rock's finally going to come back and be like, hey, quit, quit treating your family like that. And it's going to end up being like a family-type thing and and all that, and it'll, it'll build into Rock versus Roman. And I think that could possibly be good, but The Rock needs to get back in the ring, man. He... You know, he's not a spring chicken and he showed some ring rust, you know, on those two uh, ventures back with uh, Cena when he come back a few years ago. So and, the, you know, all that's happened since then is he's gotten older. Uh, yeah. So he needs to be getting back in ring shape and and all that. I mean, he can lift all the weights in the world and get as big as possible. But he'll even tell you if he's being honest that that's not the same as ring shape. So he needs to get back in there and. If they're going to do that by WrestleMania, he needs to start making some appearances. Yeah. Well, I think, though, it would kind of be like with Undertaker uh, because you don't want to have The Rock making too many appearances too early um, on it. But like you said, I mean, his cardio would have to change and practicing and all that stuff, just like what um, The Undertaker did. Undertaker said he would start like six months before WrestleMania just trying to – or maybe it was maybe it was four months, but it was several months in advance. And you know, Undertaker would say, like you said, uh, ring shape. He would start in it's November, as exact. November. If, if I'm not, if I'm quoting him correctly, he would start in November every year and start training, and train like a madman until WrestleMania. Yeah, but I think that's where they're going on this, and that's why I think that it was the right move to have Roman Reigns go over. And plus, if Roman Reigns loses. Unless he, the only way he could have lost this match is because Jimmy Uso screws up in some way. Right. But then it's like, okay, well, then what do you do? Do you go back to Roman Reigns versus Jimmy Uso again? I don't think we want to see that match again. Not that it was horrible, but it's just, it wasn't great. Right. So, so let me ask you this. Um, what direction do you think, uh, well, let me, I guess, talk about what happened on the Raw the night after. So, you got the Raw SmackDown, te- uh, the Raw uh, Survivor Series team, where you had AJ Styles, Keith Lee, Braun Strowman, Riddle, and Sheamus. So now those are the guys that they're kind of aiming for a title shot with uh, with uh, Drew McIntyre. And so they had these round robin matches, and ultimately where we are is we're going into AJ Styles, Keith Lee, and Riddle in a. Um, in a, a triple threat match, Braun Strowman was suspended because he went uh, after Adam Pearce, WWE official. And actually, I didn't realize it, but Braun Strowman actually has a legit injury, so that's explaining why he's suspended. Right. Uh, but uh, 
Where do you think they go? And of course, our listeners are probably going to be hearing this after Monday Night Raw because we're recording on a Sunday and <laughs> right. Raw's tomorrow. But where would you like to see WWE take this um, in in connection with Drew McIntyre versus one of these guys? I, you know, it's it's hard to say. I there's so much potential there. I mean, I want to see Keith Lee be pushed. Uh, I want to see, you know, I. And, Obviously, I've always liked AJ. I think he needs a haircut, but I've always liked AJ since the TNA days and ROH days. I love watching those guys make it big over there. Uh, and AJ's had his push, though. You know, he he could stand to be in the background for a little bit and let somebody else get a push. But and it, I don't know, Ben. It's hard to say. I I, I can't really can't really say where I, where I want it to go. I'd go AJ Styles for this reason. Uh, Drew McIntyre is a face right now, right? And he's a big face. Keith Lee is a face right now. You need I I still go back to the basics of I like to have a heel versus a face. Agreed. And AJ Styles has this big seven foot guy um, who's his bodyguard. I mean, I think it would be interesting to have that guy get involved in some way. He creates a uh, an outside interference to get AJ Styles the win. And then you got um, Drew McIntyre having to deal with a two-on-one. I, I think that makes it a whole lot easier, especially if they're wanting to push for this TLC match matchup coming up pretty soon. And that way Keith Lee kind of gets screwed over in some way. He's not lost. Um, and I think they try to work Keith Lee up to where it, maybe at WrestleMania or something, he's the guy. Um, I think what happens is – by doing that, you keep that heel versus face. You you're getting this big seven foot bodyguard involved, and because otherwise, why why do you have a seven foot bodyguard? Right. I mean, so that's where I think they need to go. I don't think Riddle is a championship material from a heavyweight championship standpoint. Plus, he's another face going against Drew McIntyre. Riddle's not ready. Uh, he, Riddle's not ready yet. No. And the other thing is. Um, you know, Miz is still your Mr. Money in the Bank. Yeah, I was wondering if you were going to touch on that. Good old faithful, uh, the yeah. Miz. He, you know he's their utility player, man. He does whatever they ask him to do. You know, a lot of people don't like the Miz, but if you take a step back and not be a fan and just assess the situation with the Miz's career, he's done whatever they've asked him to do. He's always there. He always shows up. He'll take a, a dive. He'll take a win. He'll take a beating. You know, whatever they ask him to do, he does. And I think this is their way of keeping Miz relevant and maybe somewhat happy. And Miz is another Randy Orton. He's no longer the young buck. You know, I mean, Miz is 40, 40 plus years old. Uh, you know, if they're going to give him another slight push, they need to be doing it. So maybe this is his, uh, you know, farewell until he's kind of lost in obscurity after, the, you know, because you know how when they get older, they kind of get, pushed aside and they'll make special appearances and maybe wrestle three or four times a year. But uh, I, I think that's probably where Miz is headed. So I would like to see them let him win a, another champion, like a major before he goes out. Cause he does deserve it. He's been with the company at this point, close to 20 years, if not more. Yeah. Uh, and I know he started a little late. Uh, I think he started in his late twenties or mid twenties. And, but you know, again, he's been their workhorse. He's done, and a lot of people can't stand the Miz, but that means he's doing his job. 
right? Right. He is. The, he's right. a consummate heel. Uh, he's he's done well with it. You know, I saw the WrestleMania in person that he main evented, and I think that they kind of gave him a raw deal on that because he didn't get to showcase as much because the whole Rock versus Cena kind of overplayed that. And you know, Rock was the host of the WrestleMania, and he came out and interfered. And so you know, even in Miz's highlight in his main event at WrestleMania, he kind of got overshadowed uh, by the Rock and Cena's uh, feud. So I, the Miz deserves another push. He, he he needs to get a belt and go out, you know, not really go out because I feel like they'll keep him around as a utility player uh, for several more years. But, you know, let, it, let him get a major before he kind of gets pushed into obscurity. Well, that's the same thing with AJ Styles, though, too. AJ Styles has already said that this is his last uh, WWE contract. Yeah. Yeah, AJ's so, not AJ's not young. AJ was in TNA for over a decade. And, he's 42. Yeah, and he was in ROH. He was in the independents for a while. So, I mean, AJ spent a good amount of time. And now, I mean, how long has AJ been in WWE? It's been at least five years, right? At least five years. Yeah, so, I mean, AJ's getting as they say, long in the tooth as well. And, uh, you know, people don't think that he's actually 42 because he hasn't been over there that long. And a lot of the people that aren't fans of anything except WWE don't know a lot of his background. So, uh, you know, like I said, he was in TNA for well over a decade or, you know, and then spent time in ROH in Japan. So yeah. guys been around for a while and I, that doesn't surprise me because AJ's made a good little, uh, living for himself he was kind of the franchise player for tna for a while so well here's the thing though about aj styles um who's better and, and even the miz who on their roster right now is able to do what they do i mean who can be the heel that can wrestle like aj styles can and actually give matt riddle competition I guess it would be Jeff Hardy, but then there's another guy that's 42, 43 years old. Yeah, Hardy's old. Um, and I'm I'm just not the biggest Jeff Hardy fan, but yeah, I mean, me neither. Um, you know, The Miz is, like you said, annoying and can do the job. John Morrison, I like John Morrison, but they kind of been jobbing him out yeah. a little bit. And the fact of the matter is they can't, they don't really have any young stars who would come in right now because they're all on, uh, T and uh, NXT, and the problem I see is as good as Finn Balor is, and he's so much better in NXT because of the fact the guys are smaller. Right. So how do you have guys like that who go up and match up against a Braun Strowman and a Keith Lee who right. are so much bigger? It comes down to the credibility. It's like even with you know when we did our podcast. Um, Brackets of the greatest wrestlers ever. We had a separate bracket for like smaller guys where, where Ric Flair won and then bigger guys where Hogan won. You know, even like Ric Flair versus Hogan, Ric Flair versus Undertaker, from a legitimacy standpoint, it's hard to, to pick Ric Flair going over a guy who's uh, almost six, eight inches taller and 100 pounds more than that, that guy or Vader. Unless you've got horseman interference. That, that's the yeah. only, only way it works. But at least with AJ Styles, I mean, he's shown that he can go against, um, you know, your Keith Lee's and your John Cena's and, and stuff like that. Right. And I just think if those guys re retire, which is going to be soon, who steps up and does that? Because you look at T and uh, NXT, 
I mean, I love Finn Balor, but he's he's quite a bit smaller. He's maybe two hundred pounds. Yeah. I mean, he's ripped. He's ripped completely. But Johnny Gargano's maybe like five eight. Right. Um, Alistair Black, he just didn't get over. Yeah. Um, on Raw, so I don't know unless and even if they bring up some some of the guys that uh, Karrion Cross, who I think that guy's fantastic on NXT. I mean, great look and everything, but another bigger guy. They don't really have guys like AJ Styles who can just go and work a match from a wrestling standpoint. Right. I agree. And it can take on the bigger guys. They're, they're going to be in a uh, situation over the next three to five years. Well, Randy Orton's another one. Randy yep. Orton can wrestle with the best of them or he can brawl. and So it's going to be interesting. But I, I kind of would like to see AJ Styles get a push. But then it goes back to what we were talking about with Drew McIntyre. Where do you really go with him? Because he's he's the best they got right now. Yep. He is so over. Um, I wouldn't want to pull the steam out of that engine at all right now. And do you have um, AJ Styles get another championship on the way out? I, I don't know. Or do you give Miz a, a, a small face run? He's been a face before. And do you give him a small face run and have him – somehow or another interfere in the Roman Reigns title run and get the title. And then Roman, they can focus more of him on the feud with the Usos. Like I could see something where the Uso interferes or whatever and screws up and causes Roman to lose. And maybe Miz gets to cash in or whatever and gets the, gets the title run for just a small time. At least they put the belt on him, you know, for a couple months and then Roman can, they can focus him on that uh, feud with the Usos, and then maybe that's what leads to him and The Rock. I don't think they're going to do anything to take the belt off of Roman Reigns, and I, I actually like your idea of Roman Reigns just continuing to be the jerk to the Usos, and then The Rock comes in, and he's like, hey, this is family, and you know I'm part of the tribe too, and right. you're not the big dog I am. Uh, you may think you're the big dog, but you're never what – I was, which would be true right? in, in wrestling. I, I like that storyline. And I think if there's a way to, because they got to cash it in somehow. I mean, they took the tr- time and trouble to get money in the bank off of Otis. They've got to cash it in somehow to make it work. So I think it's got to be some way where Drew McIntyre gets screwed over, be it by AJ Styles, who then loses it to the Miz and the, McIntyre gets it back from I don't know, but I mean that that seems more plausible than to me than Roman Reigns. What would be gr- what would be great is if The Rock and uh, Roman had their match and it was a non-title match. It was just a family feud. <laughs> the Rock beats him up and the Miz comes in and cashes it cashes it in at WrestleMania and gets the win because you can cash it in at any time. Yeah. So that would be yeah. like a payback for the rock overshadowing the Miz at WrestleMania 27, that would be kind of giving him a highlight, you know, back. So I, I think that would be pretty, pretty great because the Miz deserves something like that. Well, what you could do is you could have the match between the, if the rock came in, you know, this is all speculation, but if the rock came in paying the rock, what the rock would ask to, to come in, They've got to have that as a championship match with him and Roman Reigns. But that being said, I do think there is a way 
to and I and I don't think the Rock would come in and lose. I, I win. I don't think the Rock would come in and win. I'm not. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I could see a scenario where the Rock does win and then he turns around and loses it to the Miz. And the moral of the story is, hey, you don't turn your back on the family. Or Roman Reigns wins by like cheating the Rock, but then the the Miz comes in, tries to cash in, and the Rock helps the Miz beat Roman Reigns. Yeah. That would be good. So, yeah. Well, anyway, we will see what happens. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of this will play out tomorrow night on Monday Night Raw, so it'll be airing before our episode. But we'll see what happens. Um, now the show finally um, closes with a tribute to one of the greats of all time, and that is The Undertaker. The Undertaker announced his retirement after uh, his WrestleMania match with AJ Styles last year, which, you know, we thought was very well done. And The Undertaker is, what, 53 years old now, 54 years old? I think he's 54. Yeah. So this was a send-off uh, to one of the greats of all time. I mean, The Undertaker debuted in WWF at the time in 1990. And, um, you know, just a, a legend and was all reliable, basically, for Vince McMahon for so many years. Um, so what was your takeoff on, uh, or your take on, um, the farewell to the undertaker? So of course, you know, I was filled with nostalgia with all the, uh, older guys coming out and paying tribute like, uh, JBL and the big show and Shawn Michaels and the Godfather and the Godwins was, was a big surprise for me. Uh, I liked seeing them come out cause they don't, you know, they don't get much press. Uh, of course, Triple H was out there and, uh, and it's only fitting cause he and Undertaker have had some wars and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Ric Flair, uh, Kane, Kane. And I always love Ric Flair. Everybody knows that. So him coming out was special and, you know, all those guys and Jeff Hardy coming out was cause Jeff Hardy and Undertaker have a good relationship. A lot of people don't know that. And, you know, Undertaker sold for Jeff when Jeff was very young in like 2002 and uh it was uh you know it was touching uh i the part that i hate the most about it though is there was no live crowd there right and i hate the fact that he is topping off a 30-year career in wwe and let me let me hit that point real quick everybody is always saying oh 30 years 30 years Undertaker's been wrestling for a lot longer than 30 years. He did time in USWA as a master of pain. He did a short time in WCCW as Texas Red, and he did some time in WCW as Mean Mark Callis in a singles career and as one half of a huge tag team called the Skyscrapers. So he's been wrestling 35 to 37 years if you count his training and all that in all in one. So let's not get that confused. He's just been in WWE 30 plus years, right. which is a magnificent accomplishment. It's never probably never going to be duplicated. Even the great legend Hulk Hogan was not in WWE that long. Cause he bounced out and bounced back in and left and, and stone cold and all these legends, none of them have come close to that. I think the only one that may even come close would be Mark Henry. And I think what he had like a 20 year WWE career, something mm -hmm. like that. And the big show was probably close. I think his was close to 20. 
But think about what I'm saying. 30 years in WWE. And he well, had also a, been in that. Go ahead. I was going to say, and also he is, um, he, he's been a top guy from day one. From day one. He come in as a top guy right off the bat and he's recreated himself and, you know, reinvented himself and stayed on top and stayed relevant. So hats off to him. I was never a huge Undertaker fan, uh, but he was always there. You know, and the that hologram they did with Paul Bearer was perfect. I thought that was awesome, and it almost looked real. I mean, it was just a fantastic send-off. My biggest shortcoming on it was it was not being able to be done in front of a live crowd. And Undertaker, even though I'm not the biggest fan, deserves that. After all the hard work, all the surgeries, all the injuries, all the, you know, he's paid his dues times. 50 and he deserved to be sent out in front of a live crowd. Now I feel, yeah. I feel like they'll put him in the hall of fame immediately. I feel like he'll be in the next class. Well, yeah, I think the thing with undertaker, um, I think there are two, another thing I thought was kind of odd with this is they brought back all these legends, but yet none of them spoke. Right. I mean, they all came to the ring and like, uh, but, and Shane McMahon was in there and, as well, I mean, he had, and he and Mick Foley. I mean, golly, some of the battles that they had with Undertaker were fantastic. But so none none of those guys said a thing, which I thought was kind of weird, because um, normally you'd have like some type of send off. So I thought they should have had that. But um, you know, Vince McMahon comes out and introduces the Undertaker. But I think they've got to wait for the Hall of Fame until they can have people there because that's a ticket sale. I mean, they've got to use The Undertaker to bring in revenue. And I felt like that they do this send-off now because now, you know, Undertaker's been doing interviews before. He really hardly ever did an interview outside of his character in wrestling. I don't think he ever uh, maybe ever did an interview that wasn't a WWE-sanctioned interview. Now he's on the Stone Cold podcast, and he's been on different things and stuff like that. So I guess their thinking was – well, we've got to do the send-off now at some point. but So I thought they did about the best they could with the the, the Thunderdome, and uh, that way they could have all the, the visual effects and stuff. I really liked the Paul Bear uh, tribute. Oh, yeah, I thought it was great. And, and I have to agree, it was kind of weird that uh, they didn't speak at all. Like You had, like, what, eight, eight or nine legends in there, and nobody said anything. I... I did think that was kind of weird, but uh, overall, I thought it was, you know, pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I will say from the legend standpoint, if if they paid Ric Flair's salary for him to come and be there, you know, that's an easy night's nice work for Ric Flair. I think they had a celebration before the night before and stuff like that. But anyway, they had so many guys, though. I guess the fact too is the show was long, and if you had all those guys to at least have a a couple of minutes to talk. I mean, you're adding another 30 minutes to the show. Right. And so, even how it was without them talking, if you time that tribute from start to finish with all of their entrances and everybody shaking hands and all of that and the little video vignette that they played of the Undertaker's career, it was like 25 minutes long. So yeah. even just with that. So if they had everybody talking, you're exactly right. That segment would have been an hour. 
So that there's no way they could have done that and added yeah. another hour to that pay-per-view. I thought their video tribute was excellent. I thought um, I thought the music they picked with Metallica was awesome. I really liked that song. Oh, yeah, it was perfect. So, you know, the thing that's kind of interesting about all this, now that Undertaker is sort of retired, I mean, I guess he's going to obviously take off more time uh, for his family because I think he has some young, younger kids and stuff like that. But maybe he needs to be a backstage guy at some point too with some booking and creativity because when you think about the career of The Undertaker, nobody reinvented himself as much as The Undertaker did to stay relevant and also the importance of character development. Right. I just wonder if Undertaker hasn't had his full feel of it though. And I think Michelle is, you know, I don't know if you've watched any of the, his uh, special, I think she's ready for him to come home and they just live their life. I think, you know, it's time for, for him to hang it up. And if he gets involved in that, he'll still be on the road and traveling and tied up with that all the time. So I, I don't know. I think he may be done. He's made enough money. He don't, he don't need any money. Yeah, the only reason why I mention that, though, is because it, you know, it's hard for him to get it out of his system and stuff like that. And even if he came back just to consult, like, for WrestleMania or something or consult remotely, we'll see. Because I'm sure he'll make his appearances, like you said, at the WWE Hall of Fame whenever they can have a full uh, slate of fans in there. Because, I mean, you know that's going to be a sellout. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and even if they didn't have him... This year, they may do it the following year because, I mean, if you've got the attendance where they're going to say, okay, well, only 50% of the, the stadium can be full, you're not making your ma- – you're not maximizing your money with The Undertaker. Right. So we'll see. But I will say this. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin said in that video that probably The Undertaker has had the greatest career of all time. And at least in our lifetime, I think that's a definite yes – now, was he the best wrestler? I don't necessarily think so. I, I still would go with Ric Flair. But I will say for The Undertaker, like we mentioned earlier, when he hit WWF in 1990, from day one, he has been a main eventer. And as great as a career as Ric Flair has had, Ric Flair was not always a main eventer like Undertaker was. So in that regard, I would say that Undertaker had a greater career due to the length of time at the top. But I think I would go Undertaker one, then you battle between Hogan and um, and Flair, and I think it's a greater career than um, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Which, as much as I love Stone Cold Steve Austin, I think Austin would agree with this. I mean, as hot as Austin was, his career just wasn't as long because he had that neck injury. Agreed. And if you talk about career, like consistency. Undertaker's unmatched. None of those yeah. guys, and I, again, Undertaker's probably not even in my top, he's definitely not in my top five, and possibly not even in my top ten as favorites. But you cannot right. cannot deny his consistency at the top and his consistency of staying relevant over the last 30 years. I mean, there's nobody, yeah. Hogan's my, I'm a Hogan mark, number one, A number one, Ric Flair's right behind him. But neither one of those guys can even come close to to what The Undertaker accomplished. Yeah, and the only other guy I could think of who would be in that conversation would probably be um, Bruno Sammartino. Because, I mean, I don't remember Luthez. I, I, I know he wrestled for like 50 years and stuff. But, I mean, that was 
a, a different era. Um, I mean, Bruno was really kind of a different era too. But I mean, I just you know you hear all these stories about Bruno San Martino and just the the icon that he was and selling out the Madison Square Garden for so many years and you know like 22, 20, I think he had a twenty two year career. Yeah. So that's about the only person I could think of who would who you could say was on top for that long, uh, close to the Undertaker. But um, it's just the you think about how the Undertaker started in the mid to late eighties and grew, and how the business has changed and been through ups and downs and this and that, and he's always still been that big draw. So anyway, well, he is certainly one of the greats of all time. Um, I don't think we're going to see a career like this again, like you mentioned, Scott. And uh, it was nice to see Undertaker get a farewell. Yes, it was, and I hope that they. You know, I'm sure they'll do a little something on Raw for him. I'm sure that the, you know, Survivor Series wasn't the last of it. And I'm sure that uh, he'll be inducted into the Hall of Fame soon, if not this year. And if they don't induct him to the Hall of Fame, I would be willing to bet that they almost do another send-off at WrestleMania. Just because he was that significant. The fact, for those of you that don't know, and I'm sure just about everybody that knows anything about wrestling knows, that they sent him off on this Survivor Series was significant because he entered the WWE as a mystery guest or a mystery competitor 30 years ago at Survivor Series. Oh, okay. The Million Dollar Man Man brought him in at Survivor Series as a mystery mystery partner, and that's why they made such a big deal about him saying bye at Survivor Series this year. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It was the 30th anniversary. So, yeah. Well, there you have it. Insight from, from the guest. That's why we have you on the show, Scott. (laughs) I stick around for some reason, right? You keep me around for some reason. Exactly. Well, I'm not getting any commentary from Rodney today. So, (laughs) well, anyway, overall, um, you know, I thought SummerSlam or SummerSlam Survivor Series was, um, it was a good uh, pay-per-view. I don't think they had any matches that were duds, so that's always a good thing. Um, I thought overall it was pretty good, um, and we will see what happens the rest of the year. But, Scott, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate the the recap, and we kept it under two hours. Yes, sir, and I appreciate you, Ben. Thank you for having me once again. All right. Th- well, folks, hope you all enjoyed the episode, and we appreciate all the support that you guys have been giving us. So hope you uh, have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com and follow us on Instagram at benwilsonmiami.com.